history with the podcast guy, Matt King. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. Unfortunately, for some, our topics that we talk about may be offensive to some people. The topics that we discuss could also be triggers, and we want you to be aware of that. If you are in need of help, please talk to a professional, a family member, or a friend. We are not medical professionals, and we don't claim to be. We are just two guys with a microphone and a platform. Please listen with discretion. Welcome to This Time in History, guys. I'm Matthew, and uh, I am pleased with uh, to introduce my guest today. But before I do that, I just want to let you guys know that we are partnering with a new not-for-profit. It's called Triumph Over Trauma. They have an Instagram page. If you go and look them up, you can find them, like them, follow them. And also they have a GoFundMe. If you can't donate, I understand. Just uh, if you could share it, share it with your friends or whomever. And uh, let's try to get the funding because it's important that we try to... um, We try to do what we can to end the red tape and get affordable mental health therapy for the people that live in Ontario. But without further ado, please allow me to introduce my guest. He is the creator and host of Danalyze This, Mr. Danny Gonzalez. Welcome to the show. (laughs) What's going on, Canada? Holy crap, I'm international. Holy shit. Yeah, and you can let it fly. I, I, I love to... Swear and shit, it's it's awesome. I mean, just you know, I you know the, the American stereotype for Canadians that you guys are really nice and always have donuts. So <laughs> I don't know how true that is, but we're about to find out. Yeah. Uh, yep. So what's going on? How's how's things up there in the Great White North? Oh man, it's uh, the weather's been uh, nice lately. Um, what's, what's nice? Four forty-two below. <laughs> my uh, my garden is uh, my garden's not uh, not producing this year so far. Um, we uh, well, welcome to the rest of the food shortage world, my friend. Right? Everybody's feeling it. Everybody's feeling it. You know, I don't know if you heard. Uh, here in the U.S., we're having uh, baby formula shortages. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that. Oh, my God, what a shit show, you know? Like, I was reading the news the other day, and uh, a Florida couple got sent to jail uh, because they starved their toddler down to, like, nine pounds. But it's not even their fault, man. If you can't get baby formula, of course the baby's going to starve. The Coke dealers don't sell this shit. Like, what do you expect, you know? Like, yeah, got to cut these Floridians just a little bit of slack, you know? Just, you know... Maybe if the baby was five pounds, you know, but nine, <laughs> like, it's kind of healthy. Oh, uh, so I'd love to hear uh, the story of uh, how you came up with the podcast and how you started it and how it's going. Well, um, so I've been a podcaster now, Jesus, uh, since 2016. <laughs> Some form or the other, uh, but this iteration of the podcast, the Danalyze This podcast, um, came about uh, like a lot of creators, COVID, right? But you know, to to understand this version of the podcast, we have to go back to 2016. And um, back during 2016, I thought I was a political guy because I majored in political science at the University of Central Florida, and uh, I started a podcast called Conservative Poppy. Now. 
that podcast grew faster than expected. It really did. I didn't think people wanted to hear anything from a Latino who sides more on the conservative side of the of the aisle, but they did. Uh, and what ended up happening was some death threats, and you know, I wasn't. You know, when you become a new creator in this space of podcasting, your audience either grows extremely slow or it blows up overnight. My first podcast blew up basically within six months. Wow. And um, I wasn't I wasn't ready for that type of attention. Like we had some an extreme dude, crazy guy uh, ended up showing up at my day job. Uh, kind of, you know, wanting to get some, you know what I'm saying? He wanted to kill me or whatever, which that was a pretty scary situation. So after that whole thing, I was like, you know what? This is not worth my, I'm married. So it was brand married. I knew married at the time, freshly new, newlywed. I was like, I don't think I want to put my wife through this type of, you know, attention, you know? So I scrapped that. And then, uh, to find my voice, not only as a podcaster, because I'm also a stand-up comic, um, you know, I was like, let me do something a little bit more, you know, where talking trash and, and you know, being myself is more like it. So a friend of mine, one of my best friends in the world, Joe Motero, was my co-host for a podcast called Coñocast, which is, if you know anything from Caribbean Hispanics, it's, uh, it means fuckcast. That's really what it means. We were fucking around, talking sports talking politics just 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 a variety show um that came to an end because life right he ended up getting having a kid didn't have the time to continue so in that between the moment the show ended to the pandemic was about six months so it was about june of 2020 and i'm like okay I'm not doing stand-up. I'm not getting booked right now because the world is shut down. I need to start podcasting again. And my wife was all for it. She was like, hey, you know, do something you don't don't focus on, you know, don't go back to the political bullshit. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen again. <laughs> and, um, yeah, then Danalize This was born, and it was just me, you know, trying to figure out what the heck we're doing in this world. And, you know, now my focus is really kind of breaking down stand-up comics and creators in this comedy space, right? Um, there's so many talented people. I live, if, for those listening in Canada, I live in Joe Rogan land in Austin, Texas. So, you know, kind of at the same time as the podcast was starting to take off and Joe Rogan moved here at the same time, around, around the same time period, or within like three or four months. So it was... Austin, you know, we moved to Austin that February, and basically, you know, it was just, you know, pursuing, you know, Austin's always been a very artistic town, you know, historically with the music and and the performance, uh, great comics like Bill Hicks, uh, you know, uh, Ralphie May, all the Texas guys, they all came through here, they all cut their teeth in this city. And, you know, as a comic, I was like, you know, this is a great space for me to do that. At the same time, grow an audience, build a following. And um, this time I took it slow, man. I, I, I put things out slow, took my time, picked my shots. And now I'm sitting here with you making random dick jokes and baby 
killing jokes. I don't know why I'm doing. Um, you know, uh, I've taken a look at your 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 podcast, and jeez, uh, it's it's a who's who. Um, yeah, yeah, I, it's I've I've had I've been blessed, man, for sure. It's it's really it's something that I I actually aspire to because. Um, in terms of the podcast, yours is o- older than mine because you've been around longer. Um, so, I mean, there, there's that. I, I got to ask you because you're uh, Latino. Do you get uh, do you get any comparison or any uh, um, George Lopez <laughs> vibes? No, no, no. First of all, no. <laughs> uh, I am Puerto Rican. I'm not Mexican. So very, very different. I apologize. Audience. I apologize. <laughs> It's okay. It's not your fault. I mean, you're the ignorance. I gotta, I gotta forgive the ignorance. It's not your fault. Um, no, I, I mean, I, being in Texas and being Latino, obviously, it, it's like you know, I, the 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 common joke. It's like if you're Latino in Texas, we're all Mexican, right? Yeah, to most people, right? But you know, I I actually grew up in South Florida. I grew, you know, when I first moved to the to the states, um, we moved to Miami. Um, so a lot of my influences as far as comedy are more East Coast guys. So think about John Leguizamo, guys like uh, Louis J. Gomez, um, you know, Chris Rock, all those oh, East I Coast love Chris guys, Rock. Def Jam comedy guys. Those are all my huge influences when it comes to what I do. Um, obviously, you know, I, you can't ignore guys like George George Lopez, you know, Paul Rodriguez. You can't ignore those guys. Those guys are giants in the industry, right? They're they're I like I like to always say that no matter what you do in life, you're always gonna stand on the shoulders of giants. There's always gonna be people who came before you to pave the way and it's your job to either respect it and keep it going or to build upon it. Right? And I, I see what they do, I saw what the walls that they broke down for the Latino community in general in entertainment and it's like now that i'm in this next generation bubble of comics you know um it's my responsibility to build upon that and it's not just be funny right but it's it's create opportunities for others as well um and that's really where the podcast at least my podcast has taken is me knowing that i do stand on the shoulders of giants you know after performing having a hell of a 2021 um, started off the year last year really strong, performed with guys like Jeremy Piven, Adam Ray, Brian Holtzman, um, <clears throat> Tony Hinchcliffe, and all, and all these guys that, you know, seem, you know, if you're in the podcast community, all these guys seem like giants. All of a sudden, I'm sitting across the table from Brian Holtzman, Adam Ray, on the same show, and we're peers and we're equals. To me, was like okay. It's it's not that I've made it because God knows I have a long, long way to go, but it's the fact that I belong in this stage. It's just a matter of time before the rest of the world knows who I am, and it's not because I deserve it. It's because I know that I work hard and and I trust in a higher power. That's awesome. That's a great story. Um, as far as I go, like I've only interviewed one uh, comedian. She's She's actually just starting out within the last year. Um, she's Canadian, so uh, but she she's actually really good. I went to one of her shows, but uh, I'm interested. Do you uh, do you follow any uh, Canadian uh, uh, 
uh, comics, like, uh, I mean, there's Russell Peters, but everybody knows him. I was about to say, I mean, <laughs> if it's, it's weird, right? Like, the stand-up comedy world, at least in the States, it's, it's hard to really keep up with anybody outside of the States. One, because I'm selfish. <laughs> That's being honest. I, I, I don't look at other people's comic comedy unless I'm working with them. Um, but, yeah, we've had some of the Canadian guys come through, man. Uh, who uh, Neil Brennan, actually. Okay. You know, he came by and uh, did a couple sets at the Creek. Very funny. Um, Russell Peters, obviously. Um, you know, uh, what's his name? Jason Rouse, one of the funniest motherfuckers from Canada I have ever met. This dude is on a different level. And what's crazy, and what and what I find the difference between like American stand-up comics versus Canadian, is like Americans, we're just edgy or raunchy because we can. Where because of like the laws in Canada, y'all are a little more witty. You you guys have to like skirt around the weird gender terms that the government has put upon y'all and you know like over here you know even the left looks at trudeau and we're like that dude's crazy like really taking the guns away from people what's wrong you know like we that's i mean that's from the american perspective like even the leftists are like really they're taking they're taking their guns away can we do that here you know like that's the way they look at it and and it's it's just insane the way it happens and, and, and the difference in like the way you guys have an outlook on the world. It's it's fun to watch because like just like within Americans you have the Mexican outlook, the the white American outlook, the black American outlook, the East Coast versus West Coast versus the South versus the Midwest. There's this you know, everybody has their own takes, but having that Canadian take, which is completely removed from the American zeitgeist, right? It's it's freaking amazing to watch, especially when I see comics coming from overseas. Like, there's a comic from England that I worked with recently. Dude is not necessarily something I would usually go for, but the dude murdered on stage. Murdered. And I was like, wow, how do I do that? <laughs> I uh, I went to see uh, the, the girl I... Um interviewed at one of her shows and there was a few other comedians and this one guy came up and i wanted to see him because i heard he was really really funny the problem is is that with his accent i couldn't understand anything he was saying yeah that happens i that happens unfortunately right but uh and then uh there's a other there's another girl that was there and she was performing and she kind of had like a meltdown on stage and that happens too unfortunately oh i've seen that happen Oh, God, I've seen that happen at open mics. I've seen that happen in actual shows. One time, true story, one time I was uh, performing uh, downtown Austin, at, like right after the everything opened up in Texas, which was like eight months sooner than the rest of the world. And um, this lady, I shall keep her name out of this for her respect and whatever, this lady, female comic, just started crying on stage while retelling her rape story. And it got uncomfortable, my friend. It was so bad that it's like, I'm about to follow her. It's like, there's only one way to really address this. And it's just to shit on her story. And I felt like such a horrible human being. But it got laughs. So, who knows? <laughs> Am I going to hell? 
that's up to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have asked for forgiveness. I don't so, know if you will forgive me. For I'll that. tell you, <laughs> in in 2011, I actually did one set on stage because to me it was like a bucket list thing I wanted to do. So I did it. I did it at a Yuck Yucks. I did a five minute set at an open mic night. But I followed someone who was strumming a guitar, telling jokes. And right oh yeah, that's always hard to follow. And right before he was done, he dropped the N-word. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, oh my god. Don't they arrest people for saying the N-word in Canada? Yeah, it's it's considered hate speech now. Oh my god. So, let me ask you this. Knowing how crazy wild the U.S. How does it feel knowing that you guys are like, just, the government's like, hey, no guns, hey, proper pronouns hey don't use this word because it's a word that's a mean powerful word how does that feel for you guys that's what i wanted to know. um i i just hijacked your podcast like it's all good <laughs> uh i did a podcast one with a guy and we actually did a simulcast he was doing his and i was doing mine at the same time um yeah. no but to answer your question um i honestly it feels more and more every day like we're losing our rights uh kind of probably similar to the way that a lot of americans feel about their guns losing because i mean it's it's part of the constitution so it's in your rights but for us it's like free speech but so we used to have a huge free speech bubble and now it's like the bubble's getting smaller and smaller and smaller until it's going to be gone because it's like oh you, you can't say this word and this word and this word and this word and then Pretty soon, we're not going to be able to say anything. <laughs> yeah, they're going to... Uh, and Justin Trudeau is just the worst kind of prime minister you could ever fucking imagine, and I have no problem saying that, and I hope he hears this. Well, sir, uh, watch <laughs> out. There's a guy wearing all black with a Canadian flag right behind you. You might want to watch out. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, the government of Canada, but nobody's really skeptical. <laughs> I, I mean... I like I like I like the Raptors. <laughs> no, I mean when Trump was in office, there was a huge joke that uh, Trudeau was his bitch. That's funny. <laughs> I don't know I where it came from. Down it. here too, it was like, hey, yo, Trudeau's trying, won't do nothing because Trump is in office. And it's, it's it's a weird thing, man. Like I hate I hate this because I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like I hate that politics and the idea of like opposing views has kind of just engulfed culture like it isn't just oh like in the states right it used to be oh i'm a republican i'm a democrat eh, whatever like we'll just hang out later now it's like your friends unless you completely agree or whatever like i don't want to hang out with you you're an evil person because you believe in this or you voted for that or whatever it's become such a polarizing thing and the only place left it feels like is the comedy club right like the comedy club is the only way the only place in in modern culture where you can go and you suspend your your ideals for 45 minutes to to an hour and a half you go there and regardless of the trash that the comic is talking about you can go there as an audience member and just be like i'm just going to laugh at whatever's happening let it be you know jokes about you know raunchy jokes political jokes clean comedy it doesn't matter like when as comics for me we you know i subscribe to the idea 
as Chappelle, you know, Dave Chappelle, where he goes, you know, it's a responsibility to speak correctly. Doesn't mean we're right. Doesn't mean we mean it. You know, a lot of times if you talk to real stand-ups that have been doing it for a long time, it, it all comes from the same place. It comes from one, pain, and two, love. We are in so much pain, we don't want anybody else to go through it. And we want you to laugh. Laugh at me, laugh at the world, laugh at the newspaper. Do Just forget about your pain for that split second. That is the only thing that we want. And it's the truth. And we have to speak recklessly. The last place left to be able to speak recklessly. You can't go to the Capitol and speak recklessly. You're going to get arrested. You can't, you know, you can't march because there might be opposing an opposing march and then there's going to be violence, and they're going to shut the whole thing down. So, oh, what's the point of the march anyway? You know, it's it, it's become this this weird thing. And honestly, it's it's a weird time. It's a weird time to do comedy. And I think this is when you're going to see the best comics in the world step up and make make do with what we've got. Absolutely, absolutely. The world is all fucked up, and and if you know if if. The comics can make us laugh. That makes them so much better. I mean, for me, the greatest comic ever will always be George Carlin. And I, I'm sad that I never got to see him live. He is definitely one of them. He is definitely <laughs> one of the greatest comics to ever do it. Um, what are, what's your inspiration for, for comics? So, uh, so, like, I draw a little bit from everybody, man. But, um biggest probably the most influential guy for my for me was John Leguizamo he was the first um comedian slash stage actor that I saw on tape VHS tape that's aging me right now by the way I saw on VHS tape actually make me laugh by just talking not falling not in a movie he was doing a routine on stage talking, talking about family, talking about abuelitas y abuelos and, and all that. And it just, I resonated with it. And I, the reason I say I resonated with it, because it wasn't the Mexican trope and, and not to diminish the Mexican culture, because I'm actually married to a very beautiful Mexican lady, but it was just different. You know, I was what, like 10 at the time. I didn't, you know, I, I never heard somebody talk about you know, arroz con habichuela, that's rice and beans for those who speak Puerto Rican, right? Arroz con habichuela on a Saturday afternoon while listening to salsa music so loud it fucks with NASA communication. That line is verbatim from one of his specials called Freak, and that line stuck with me because that was my Saturday, my every other Saturday during every summer of my childhood. You know, it was family getting together, it was a bunch of joking around with the one grandparent half dead telling you to pull the plug like all that was real to me and you know while it was cool seeing like in contrast right seeing like a like a, like a george lopez funny don't get me wrong funny and and as a and as a stand-up and a matured stand-up now i i see it and i appreciate it but when i was 10 years old i couldn't resonate it wasn't the same music wasn't the same i didn't understand what la culture was you know, I'm from this little Puerto Rican, South Florida, Cuban bubble. You feel me? So it was just different. So it wasn't that it wasn't funny. It was I didn't resonate. So I looked at him. I'm like, yeah, he's okay. He's funny, I guess, right? 
but then these East Coast New York, you know, Philadelphia guys, you know, guys like Mark Vieira when he was coming up, all those guys influenced me so much more just because of where, not only where they came from, they were talking my language. You know what I'm saying? They were speaking to me in this weird street island language that I understood even as a young man, you know, and it, it, it resonated with me. And then, you know, later, you know, then the deeper I got into comedy, I discovered Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, uh, George Carlin, Bill Hicks, and all these giants of this industry. And I'm like, wow, this, you can do this. You can just talk to people and make them fall over laughing. How do I do that? And then, you know, one day I just went to an open mic and bombed and never left the club and somehow got better. So. For me, it was uh, 99. It was Chris Rock, uh, his his bigger and blacker uh, um, oh, album. Oh yeah, leather, oh, leather suit. My leather suit, uh, Chris Rock. one of my one of my I'm best friends suit, put it on the TV. I'm like, what is this bullshit? And he's like, just just listen. So I listened. To, uh, I I couldn't stop. It was great. I don't think you know. To this day, I think the best stand-up special of all time is Eddie Murphy's Raw. Yeah, Eddie I own that. With the purple, with the purple jumpsuit. <gasps> oh, Jesus, there is nothing funny. Like the first ten minutes, you're just keeling over. It's punchline after punchline after punchline with facial expressions and all this. Oh man, some of the best comedy, man. And then the best. mine and my wife's favorite one to watch together is uh, Dane Cook's uh, Vicious Circle. Yeah. Hilarious. And he, she he, loves... He was, sorry. He, he had his moments too, man. He yeah. was... At one point, he was the biggest comic in the world. Um, at one point, for sure. And it's weird, man. Like, comedy is, is a lot like, you know, a lot like like combat sports, right? You you develop... You work so hard and then you you get to this point... And it's like there's this weird time period, and every comic is a little different, but every comic has this weird time period where they are the best version of themselves for this window of time. It's their prime, right? And in comedy, unlike anything else in entertainment, that window of time comes later than most, right? Like when you think of Patrick Swayze, what are the first movies you think of? You think of the Roadhouse, you know, Dirty Dancing... Or, you know, or one ghost. of those early movies where he was like, he was Swayze. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. point break Swayze, like early 90s, mid 80s, you know. Yeah, that's what you think of. You don't think about an old Patrick Swayze. In contrast with comics, the greatest comics aren't young. They're not young men. They might not look old, but they're really in their mid, late 30s, mid 40s. And in Joe Rogan's case, he's in his 50s, right? And George Carlin is another one of those guys that he had basically two careers, right? You look at you look at his career, he had two careers. He had his young days, his young man years, right, where he was doing clean comedy. He was doing the variety shows back in the early 50s. And then all of a sudden, he turned into this hippie, and he had this whole other second career where he was – it was a whole different style – and they were both great. It was just different, and he reinvented himself, and he just stayed relevant for decades. Not a lot of people can do that. Same thing. Same thing with Dave Chappelle. He's had two careers. He had 
young Dave Chappelle, early mid nineties to early two thousands Dave Chappelle, skinny dude Chappelle show, and then now in the, the last decade he's reemerged as this, you know, wise older man that has life experience that knows has different takes on things. And stand-ups, we have the ability to do that because you never, as a stand-up, you never stop performing. You're always performing. Now, it's the notoriety within those performances that you get. And like I said, I'm early in my career. God knows where I'm going to be in 10 years, right? But I, you know, I see it and I'm like, I study these guys and I know the shoulders that I'm standing on. They're building this foundation. Like I said, they're building this foundation for me to get to the next level. And I look at those guys and I'm like, you know, one day that's going to be me doing these jokes, not because I want the money, just because I respect the art so much. It's like it's it, it can't just top off here for me to go to this next level. For me, I, I mean, I, I only did it that one time, but for me, it's it it's that rush. That's why I uh, want to do it. Oh, it, oh I don't that. care about. Oh, there's there's that. There's nothing like killing. dude. <laughs> there is nothing. Man, when you have the crowd in the palm of your hand and everything you say is funny, you feel like you have a 10 inch day. That is a fact. Yeah. Um, there is no other way to say it. I'm sorry. There is no. I, if you smoke weed, there's no better high. If I, nothing. There is nothing like killing on stage. In contrast, there's nothing like bombing on stage. You feel like you want to kill yourself. I did like, that once. I, I so I was on stage twice. The first time wasn't yuck yucks. That was the second time. The first time, uh, yeah, it, it didn't go good. And then I, I, right. I you know. It, it had to do with my routine. It was mostly about strippers. and. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's that's another thing, man. It's you know, Stand-up is a weird art. It's a weird art. There's no right way to do it, but when you see it done right, you're like, oh, that's the way you do it, right? So it's like, I hate, like, every now and then, I hate to say this because I've only been doing stand-up uh, full-time now, four years. Um I tell people, like, I have young guys come up to me, like, you've been doing it less than a year, six months in, or whatever. And they go, hey, how do you write jokes that are so funny? And it's like, and to me, I'm not thinking about that the joke was funny. I'm thinking about how it didn't even come out right on stage. I missed a, I missed a line. I missed a tag. I'm dissecting my own set in my head, and they're asking me for advice, and part of me wants to tell them to go fuck off, but also part of me was like, hey, just, just just go, just just learn how to write, you know, go go read a book, go go watch YouTube videos. Like compared to, you know, on my podcast, I, I've spoken to a lot of, you know, great comics from the past. I don't want to say that they're done because a real stand-up is never done. But their heyday was, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, even in the 90s. And I talked to them and their experiences coming up. And, and what intrigues me and what I like talking about in my podcast, especially when it comes to artists and business people, is the come up, right? Because everybody wants to celebrate the successes. But there's so much about the come up that nobody ever really wants to talk about. It's become like a weird, hacky thing on your, on your phone, right? You hear their inspirational quotes from Gary Vee. Or you go through TikTok to get, you know, your daily motivation before you go to the gym. But what does that look like on a day-to-day? It sucks. That's the truth. It fucking sucks. You know, like, one of my favorite stories 
and it's been corroborated by a lot of really well-known comics. You know a comic named Bill Burr, right? Bill Burr. It sounds familiar. Bill Burr. Bill Burr, one of the biggest comics in the world. You don't know who he is, look him up. As soon as you see his face, you're going to know exactly who I'm talking about. Bill Burr was sleeping on his couch till he was third on his friend's couch till he was thirty-eight years old. Wow! And at that point, he was already doing comedy fifteen years. You know, like nobody talks about how hard it is to do what we do. You know, there's this new generation of comics across the country, across the world. That because of TikTok, because of Instagram, because of Facebook, Reddit, social media in general, they they go viral, good on them. But here's the problem. This is the problem with going viral. This is why you need to, to build not only a set but a career that is sustainable to go viral, right? Is what happens if you post one thing, it goes viral, you gain millions of followers you know, in a short period of time, then they invite you to do a gig and you don't have the chops to do that gig. You know, like there's a reason it takes a long time because you have to fail. You have to, you have to learn those experiences going into a hostile crowd, going, you know, playing middle or nowhere gigs, what, you know, Joe Rogan calls them hell gigs. Like I do those all the time, all the time. Like I've played, like I've played in the biggest club in the world right now, which is Vulcan Gas Company, when we first opened up, and to crowds of two hundred to three hundred people, and kill. But I've also bombed in front of two to three hundred people. That's not a good feeling, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Where the entire crowd avoids eye contact with you as you walk in through to grab a cup of water. It's horrible, right? I've traveled ten plus hours to do a bar show in the middle of Texas where nobody's ever even seen or smelled a Puerto Rican. You know, they, they don't even know a Puerto Rican. They think Puerto Rico's in Mexico. Like, they don't even know where that is. And I'm over here, I'm like, hey, I'm a Puerto Rican. <laughs> Talking. And, and they're just not listening. I've been, I've done that. You know, I, I've, I've done all these crazy gigs in my short time in comedy. And I say short because four years is a drop in the bucket when you look at guys like Dave Chappelle, Joe Rogan. You know, it's it's it feels like forever, but it's not. It's really not. And people and people don't realize. Sorry, my wife just walked in. I was saying, "What's up, <laughs> Hey, world?" My wife walked into the room. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you. It's the hard work, and that is the part that most creators. And I don't want to just say comics. I think creators, right? Let it be online content, podcaster artists, musicians, they forget about the hard work. They want to make that one banger or that one viral clip and go on a world tour. Bro, you're not ready for a world tour. You're not ready. And it, it sucks to say that to a lot of young people because there are some very talented people. But if you don't hone your craft, the road isn't where you hone your craft. You hone that craft behind closed doors. You hone that craft going to shitty open mics. You hone that craft where you get good enough that you can do it without thinking. Where you can just do it. That's the difference. I couldn't have said it better. Um, I think that it, it, it speaks to this generation of people who are entitled and 
think the world owes them something and they're just supposed to be handed something. Well, you know, it's not even it's not even them. Their parents. Their parents. You know, if look, I am thirty one years old. Okay. Um I remember my parents refused to put me in sports because of uh, you know, participation trophies. That was big when I was a kid. You know? Um it's it's not it's not their fault that they're expecting instant gratification. It's not their fault. It's their parents' fault. They should, should have taught them how to be tough. And I don't know, maybe it's because my dad was an asshole. I don't know. <laughs> whatever. But um he I got I, I was raised very differently than people in my generation than I, my peers. You know, it's crazy. Like I don't understand and I will never truly well, I get it. Like I understand it because I see it every day. And I understand, like, like I centrically get it, but I don't get it into this part of my soul where it's like, it doesn't resonate. Like, this whole, you know, oh, I don't get, you know, and it's not talking trash. This is this is true. There's a comic in in Texas, and I don't I want to keep him nameless too because I think he's really talented. I really do think he's talented, but he's one of those people that he likes to complain about missed opportunity. And he happens to be, you know, of color. And I want to say what nationality he's of That's color. Fine. So um and he says, Oh, because people are racist. And I'm like, part of me is like, maybe. I don't want to give him the no. I'm like, maybe you're right. But let's be honest. You haven't put in the work. You haven't put in the work. So what you do, you shut the fuck up, you get behind a computer, you write jokes, you produce your own content, you do it slowly, you put it out, be consistent, and eventually those opportunities will come. Like I said, man, it's it's right now for me, I personally look at my life and it's like there's a long there's way more road ahead of me than there's behind me, but I'm not worried about what Fulano de Tal is doing. And Fulano de Tal is like John Doe. Puerto Rican for John Doe. Um, I don't care what Fulano de is doing. I worry, I'm worried about what I'm doing and how I'm making my money and how I'm putting out the best possible product. I'm the product, right? So what that looks like, I want to make sure that if you if you as a listener are resonating with this and you want to subscribe to the Dynalysis podcast, that you're going to get a great interview, that you're going to follow me on social media. You're going to be like, oh, snap. That shit's funny. If you're going to come see me somewhere, let it be here in Austin, in Canada, wherever they bring me out to, damn, I follow Daniel online. I think he's funny. You're not only going to get your money's worth, let it be your $25, your $30 that you pay for your ticket, plus your, you know, if you have kids, your whatever, you know, you're going to come out to see a great show because you know that I've put in the work when you weren't around to get your money. That's awesome, and I, I can't. Uh, hopefully, you know, you come to Canada one time, and and we can you can do a show here. I'm actually putting together um, as part of the the not for profit that I mentioned at the top of the show. I'm actually I'm actually we're partnering with it because I'm starting the not for profit. And uh, we're starting it with a fundraiser at the end of September, and it's a comedy show. 
and uh, so I have uh, m most of the what I like to call the undercard. It's all booked, but I'm I'm looking for a headliner. Originally, uh, I I can't really say. I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not coming at the. No no no. Originally, I I had some I had someone I had someone big planned, but um, I haven't heard from him in in a, in a little bit, so I can't. So I'm 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 probably gonna look for a different headliner, but uh, I want I needed it to be a big because my idea is to uh, obviously get a venue and charge tickets there, but also live stream it so people around uh, that can't make it can see it and they can donate while they're watching it uh, well. in an effort to to start up uh, uh, the not for profit, but. Uh, because I've always believed in comedy. I love comedy. It's since I was uh, since I was introduced to it. So I am so happy and jealous that you get to do that every day. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about uh, um, where you know? Because actually, honestly, uh, Texas is one of my. Uh, it's in my top six uh, of states. Uh, you know, because I'm on Anchor, right? So you know how they list them. So okay. Texas is in my top six. So I, I do have quite a few listeners in Texas. So um, in case they don't listen to you, <laughs> uh, tell them about yourself and tell them about where they can see you on stage. Well, uh, so if you're local in the Austin area slash San Antonio-ish area, which is like about a three-hour radius, uh, you can find me uh, once a month at Slackers Brewing Company. It's a local uh, craft brewery uh, where I hold shows. I, I do. I'm, a, I'm the host, and I bring comics from all over Texas, all over the country. They come, they do my they do my show for the for the community. It's free of charge. Um, this weekend, if you're in Springfield, Missouri, I am headlining. A show there, uh, Friday, Saturday. Tickets are still available, um, and you know, usually just keep up with my Instagram. It's probably the best way to keep up with any comedy dates with me. Uh, it's at Poppy underscore the comic uh, on Instagram, and it's everywhere else too. Uh, you can catch my podcast on all platforms: Spotify, Apple, iHeart, name it, Google Play, Stitcher. It's everywhere. Just it's being hoard out. Just go subscribe, leave a review, or don't. But do I, I need your approval to get through my day? Um, and uh, no, it's just I'm. I perform everywhere, man. Um, like I said, I, I'm very lucky. You know, uh, this past weekend I actually uh, I performed at a, at a new club in Austin. It's a brand new club in Austin called East Austin Comedy Club. It's a beautiful venue. Um, so you popped I'll the be, cherry I'll, on it? No, uh, I I wasn't the one who popped the cherry, but it's a new club. It's a, <laughs> it's a couple months old. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, and I'll be there about once a month doing uh, a weekend there once a month. So come check it out. I'll be there, you know, and all the schedule stuff. I'll, that's always being updated. So right now, the next, the most pressing one will be. Springfield, Missouri. I'll be in the Ozarks just slinging jokes to Midwestern white people. <laughs> oh, I wish I could be there. And uh, thank you so much for 
for coming on this podcast and just dropping all this knowledge. Now I got to check out all these comedians that you mentioned that that I haven't heard from heard of. But there's one I want you to uh, check out. Maybe you've never heard of him. He's from Newfoundland. His name is uh, Sean Majubner. Sean Majubner. I'll write him down. Sean Majubner. If he says one one racist American <laughs> joke, I'm turning it off. I think he's an Indian Newfie. I'm not sure. Based on the name, my wife my wife swears by him. <laughs> well, you know Canadians. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Shout out to Canada. You know, <laughs> love you guys. Keep it keep it classy, Trudeau. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> thank you, thank you again for uh, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, Matt. Uh, thank you guys so much.